Welcome to Guts. I'm Joey Donovan Guido, your host, and today we're going to be talking with Kyle Wiege, owner of Crimson Sun Studios, which is a company that specializes in photography, motion, and time-lapse. And that said, what Kyle does for a living is only a small part of what we'll be talking about today. Here's a breakdown of the topics we'll be discussing. What prompted Kyle to start his business and how he did it. How having kids changed how Kyle runs his business. Striking a balance between being a dad, husband, and business owner. The most challenging part of being a parent who runs a business. We'll also talk about consciousness and being in the present moment, as well as tools and practices to help us be in the moment, even when we're experiencing strong emotions or thoughts. And finally, we're also, as always, going to ask Kyle, what has been one of the biggest challenges you faced and how you handled it? So a little bit more about Kyle's background. Kyle Wiege is a commercial photographer, musician, husband, and father. He owns and operates Crimson Sun Studios, providing commercial photography with specialties in architecture, fantastic photos, by the way, uh, drone, time-lapse, and portraits. Kyle plays bass guitar and actively writes and performs music with Madison-based groups Dub Foundation and Red Rose. Outside of work and creative pursuits, Kyle enjoys time with his family, camping and hiking, and works to fit in the occasional game of basketball with friends at local courts. And uh, before I officially introduce you, Kyle, I'd like to say if we ever play basketball, watch out, because I have a mean right elbow. (laughs) 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 And with that, Kyle, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Joey. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. Um, So let's just dive right in. Yeah. Uh, tell Tell us, if you don't mind, a little bit about um, we, you kind of told us who you were in your bio, but who you are and, and, and what you do at Crimson Sun Studios. Sure. Uh, yeah. So Crimson Sun Studios, you accurately uh, described as a company providing photography, motion and time lapse. Um, I, I specialize um, in commercial photography, which means no weddings or babies or families or any of that kind of stuff. Um, mostly doing architecture, um, some professional portraits, um, some product photos and uh that's pretty much it. I mean, along with video and in the same aspects in the same regard, just storytelling to help um, companies, you know, share their, their story and what they do in their marketing. Okay, cool. Cool. And what, what prompted you to open up your own business instead of like going to work somewhere else? Yeah. And and, um, and how did you do it? Yeah, sure. It's, it's kind of interesting. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel the same way and who have felt the same way as I felt. Um, I started my business when I was pretty young. I mean, right now I'm 33. I started it in 2014. So, you know, I must've been mid twenties or so early twenties. Um, and I honestly, I had been working since I turned 16. The day that I got my driver's license is the day I started my first job, (laughs) which I'm glad it worked out well, or else my dad would have had to bring me to work. Um, but ever, ever since then, I, I can't say I've had a boss that I've really liked. You know, I've had managers that I've really liked, but they're not the ones who approve my paychecks. They're not the ones who, um, you know, are the ones that hired me or anything like that or had anything to do with uh, my future at the company. They're just the ones who I answered to and who also had somebody to answer to. Um, So for me, you know, working multiple jobs throughout my life, I had been told by a lot of people, um, you start off strong, you do a good job and then you plateau and you don't 
seem to keep working hard. And that was definitely the case. Um, cause I just didn't care. I just didn't care. You know, it was like, I, I would show up and try to work hard to learn the job and to feel like I, you know, I was contributing something. And then once that happened and once, you know, I wasn't making any more money, it was just here I am. This is what I do every day. It just got boring. You know, there wasn't any, um, special aspect to it. I never had like a commission job or a sales job. I was always kind of in the service industry. Um, and so I had finally got a job working as a photographer, um, for a company here in Madison doing, um, like, you know, sports, youth sports and, um, that kind of thing, school pictures. And for me, that was amazing. I was super excited because I've been doing photography most of my life. My dad was a hobbyist. And so I grew up with his film cameras and we would go out in the backyard and do long exposures and, um, just fun stuff with, um, lights and all sorts of experimental things. So, um, you know, that was kind of an interest of mine for a long time. And so being able to then work full time as a photographer for this company um, was super interesting. And, you know, I felt grateful because now every single day I just get to go out and take photos and I didn't really care what I was doing. Um, I just get to take photos every single day. I'm in a new place, you know? And so that was cool. I worked there for about three years and a year and a half in being that job. Um, I wasn't even close to where I thought I would be from a pay standpoint and from a leadership standpoint. Um, I thought I was doing a great job and that things were picking up and that I was moving in that direction. And the owner of the company who I would review my images with and go over things with um, basically kept telling me like, oh, no, you're not at this level yet. We can't pay you this. We can't get you there. Um, it'll be just a little more time. You know, maybe next year we'll be able to get you at this pay level, which, you know, I, I didn't understand where he was coming from. Maybe he was right maybe not. Um, but for me at that point, I realized like, I'm the sole purpose you make money, right? Hmm. Getting a contract is one thing and it's very difficult. Make, doing sales is certainly a, a tough job and I give people credit for doing that. Um, but you can't sell something that doesn't exist. And so I'm literally out there creating the product for you. And if it sucks, people aren't going to pay you money. <laughs> and so like, it's very important that I'm here doing a good job or else you have no business. And I realized that I was like, okay, so I can do this on my own. You know, why don't I just try? And so I, I started an LLC, which is super easy to do now here in America. You just go online and just start an LLC and pay the money and, you know, do the things you need to do, find out what documentation you need to do the job and just set it up. It was super simple. I went to my credit union and um, started a separate bank account and just put some money in there and just bought some gear and um, just started doing it part time. You know, it's the hustle that everybody talks about. Like, what's your side hustle? Well, for me at that time, it was Crimson Sun Studios. And so I just started learning um, about what I wanted to do, just started creating imagery that I could use in a portfolio, um, just experimented. You know, I mean, the way that I learned best is just by doing something and then failing and seeing like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that didn't work. What could I do next time? Or how could it, how could it be better next time? Um, and that's just a slow roll to get to where I'm at now, you know, and that was eight years ago, nine years ago or something. Mm. Um, and now things are great. My portfolio is a hundred times better. Um, I just keep practicing and keep putting time and energy into it because it's a thing that I really care about. And the thing I've noticed is working for myself. Um, I haven't, I haven't hit a plateau. Like maybe I have at some points where I feel like, okay, things are going well. I don't have to strive really hard to stretch. I can be where I'm at and provide value where I'm at. Um, but it's not the same, right? And this is like a commission, a, kind of a commission-based thing. Whereas if I don't sell, if I don't get work, I make no money, 
right? It's not like I'm selling insurance or something where I can just keep getting residuals off of whatever I've done last year. Um, like I need new projects, you know, like new work to come in that will bring me out on location or into the studio or whatever. Um, and so that was a huge motivating factor that I had no idea about. So maybe when I was younger, if I would have had a sales job selling something that I really, really loved, I would have excelled in that. I probably would have done very well. Um, for me, I can't sell a thing that I don't care about. I, I love photography and, and video so much. I love what I do. Um, I mean, I live and breathe it. You know, I wake up every day and if I didn't do this for a living, I would still be wa watching photographers and how they do their process and what they shoot on and new cameras and technology and editing um, practices and just what's happening, what's changing in the market. Like I'd be paying attention to that no matter what. So the fact that that's now my job, um, you know, just keeps pushing me to new heights and I just can't ever see myself getting sick of it. So for any folks who are like, Hey, should I do my hobby as a job? Hell yeah. You should do your hobby as a job because you might get burned out on it from some points and be very careful about that. But if you want to like what you do, like do, do your hobby. You know, like my dad told me that when he was younger, oh, I didn't pursue photography because I didn't want to ruin my hobby. Well, he worked so much that he didn't get to do his hobby and now he doesn't mm -hmm. take photos at all, you know? And so it's like, well, now I get to do my hobby every single day and I get to excel at something that I love and sell something that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, you know, most people don't get to say that some people are janitors or some people are stuck in a cubicle, just trying to make money because now they've got a family and now they've got high levels of responsibility and it's not so easy to quit and leave. Um, you know, as when I was young, I didn't have any responsibility. If I failed, it didn't really matter. Like I could just start, I could go get a job at Subway, which is where I worked before, you know, I was doing, um, all the other jobs that I had done. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, you, you, you encapsulated a lot with that. That was amazing. Um, Thanks. and you're welcome. You made me think of a bunch of things I wanted to follow up on that I've forgotten, but, <laughs> but one thing that I actually wrote down was you mentioned about plateauing and I, I really feel like it was one of the good parts of what you just told us was how you were kind of being given this feedback about plateauing and were, had an awareness of it. And then when you started your own business, you were like, Hey, that, that's not happening. And I, but I also thought it was funny that you mentioned that today because I just had this conversation with myself and then my wife the other day, because, you know, I do guts, right? Guts is kind of my side hustle, right? I don't, yeah. I don't do that full time. So I do the podcast and I do workshops and I thought to myself the other day, like, oh, I'm good. Like I'm, I've gotten the things I study and I'm just going to keep, you know, wor working on and learning from that. And then I caught myself. I said, what, what? No, that's how am I going to learn more if I just like stay in this plateau, right? This space I'm at, because I can, you know, if you said, Hey, do a workshop right now, I could do one and it would be useful and helpful and have value. But do I really want to keep kind of coasting there or do I want to learn more to add more value or maybe be able to answer a question more effectively or teach something more clearly? Um, so my son, Max, he works in Barnes and Noble when he's not in school, when he's not in college. So uh, I got two books. I got Marcus Aurelius and I also got Seneca. They're both like guys who do like this, the, the, the stoic love studies, it. which yeah, I'm learning about. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I love it. I just want to like plug it into my head and like download it. So I have all the information and so yeah. I can just kind of muddle it over and process it. Um, but I, I think that's really important because when you are running a business, there are going to be times where you are burnt out, where you're handling, you know, paying the bills and keeping a ledger 
and wondering, okay, you know, am I going to make it next month? Sometimes that happens in the beginning. Sometimes it happens five, six years in. Pandemic, hello, that can really throw a wrench in things. Uh, and then you've also, if you're a creative, you've got to lean on that creative side when you're burnt out. And that can sometimes be super hard. So, all yeah. right. Yeah, lots, Let's, lots there. I would say the, sto the stoicism stuff is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, it, when you when you're th years into a business, you don't expect to all of a sudden have the floor pulled out from under you, like so many of us had in 2020 when the pandemic happened. I mean, that for me for me was as equally bad as my first year in business. <laughs> you know, and so it was like, what do I do? I'm lucky that I've got a wife who, um, you know, has a job and she didn't get fired and she works at a hospital, so it was like at least half of us has a paycheck. Um, <laughs> You know, and the other half is still working on what what we can do. And a nice thing about being self-employed is you've got flexibility. You know, I, got, I had the time to be able to do um, more parenting aspects, to, to make meals, to figure stuff out for the future and what we're going to do. And one of the thoughts that popped into my head at that time was like, oh, man, I don't have income right now. Like, I'm guaranteed not to have income for the next three months. What what should I do? Like, should I go get a part time job? Should I start delivering food with Uber? Should I, you know, do any of these things? Um, and in my mind, like, I, I, I'm probably my toughest critic. And I think for some people, that's really good. Some people you want to have very positive self talk all the time. Other times, you want to be your, t your toughest coach. And for me, I think I, I'm best when in my mind, I'm my toughest coach. And so the thing that I kept saying was just like, no, no, don't do that. Like, don't do that. Like, that's a stupid idea. Don't go get some other job that's not has anything to do with your business. Like, that is the worst idea you've ever had. Like, instead, just reinvest your time, reinvest your passion, and just push forward. Figure out what you can do. What are the problems now? When are things going to change? Um, how can you adapt and keep moving forward on the path that you're on? Don't don't change things right now just because all of a sudden it got hard. Like you can still do this and this isn't going to last forever. Um, just focus on where you need to be and, um, you know, try to get there and don't, don't change. Don't go take some $15 an hour job or even less to just try to pay some bills right now. I mean, like, look, if you have to do that, then you have to do that, right? If you have to work three jobs to make, to make ends meet, then that's what you have to do. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're not always in a position where it's like we we're sitting on thousands and thousands of dollars. We don't have to work for a couple of months, but, um, in my situation, it, it wasn't terrible. You know, we had enough to live off of for a few months. Um, so that was my, my approach forward is just, you know, don't quit, don't stop because perseverance is the main way that we all reach our goals. Yeah. That's a great point. And I've been there and you know this, I've been there where I've had three jobs and I, when I, 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 I left, I left a full-time job that was basically life-sucking and started Cup SEO and worked at a firm doing SEO and writing. And I also worked in the Apple store. And man, I mean, like it's, I, this is when I was starting, right? So it was, I was pulling 60 to 80 hours a week, but it was easier and less stressful than when I was working 40 hours a week at a job that was just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you've got more control. You've got more autonomy over what you do. You feel, um, you know, more connected to the work. Whereas if you're working 
just for some other business that you don't control or that you don't own. Um, you just might feel like a cog in the machine. That's how I felt for every other job where I was employed and it wasn't my baby. It wasn't me setting it up or I wasn't highly invested. I mean, before I went full time for my business, I was working for another video company that was run by a, a good friend of mine. Um, and it was, it was odd because I thought going into it that like, you know, I was going to be a partner. I was going to be some kind of a creative lead here. And that's kind of how it started. And then it quickly turned into me being an employee mm. and it was not at all what I wanted. And again, it was the same thing, plateauing, um, my, my access towards, um, getting paid more wasn't happening. My, um, you know, trust in a, as being a leader wasn't there. My trust in, um, just doing any part of the job wasn't there. They bet just, you know, telling me what to do and dictating my, my times when I had to be there and what I could be doing and everything like that. And it was terrible, <laughs> just terrible. Like nobody <laughs> wants to do that. So yeah. I, th that's, that's, I think that's a pretty common story. I think that's why we, we leave yeah. corporate America or even small businesses that they fall into the same kind of ideology where you become that cog in the wheel. Um, so, all right, so so it's an interesting question for you because we've talked a bit about your, your work and I and I, everything you're saying resonates with me. I was in similar situations in my professional career, and now all of a sudden you've got kids. And in your case, now you have two kids. You have Milo, who's your youngest, and then you have Farron. Mm -hmm. And how has having kids changed how you run your business? Oh man. Um it's changed things and it's not changed things. I would say until you're a parent, you have no idea what it's like to be a parent. Like there's just, there's no way you could possibly know. It's like saying, um, oh yeah, I know what it feels like to get shot. No, you don't. You don't have any freaking idea what it's like to get shot until you get shot. Then you know, then you have the feeling, then you live with it, then it's there. Um, for me as a parent, like it, it's similar in terms of being a business owner where it might be the best feeling you've ever felt. And then in the same day, the lowest feeling you've ever felt. It's just so difficult. And the, the ride on that roller coaster is dynamic. Um, so that's one of the things for me, I had trouble and still have trouble managing. It's just like the emotional state of being a parent and also the emotional state of being a business owner, um, you know, just riding the waves and, um, trying not to let the emotion overwhelm you, you know, like understanding that parenting is difficult and um, being there for them is, is almost more important than running your business at sometimes. Obviously you need to create income. <laughs> you need to be able to be stable as a family and like have some ability to um, live and prosper in your life. But um, raising a human to be a respectable member of our society is like the most important job you could possibly do. You know, like if you fail as a parent and you might not even know that you're failing, like I could be failing right now and I don't know. Um, you know, it's just a bummer because you get so far down the road and, and realize that it's not reversible. You can't change it. Like um, you got to be present in every action that you take and you have to be able to look back on things that you did yesterday and ask how, how could I do it better tomorrow? Um, so I think, you know, doing both, being a parent and running a business um, can play into each other in terms of like the the qualities that you get from either can be good qualities for the other. Like if I'm a good leader in my business, I can be a good parent. And if I'm not a good parent, um, I'm, I might not be a, a good business person. I might not be connecting right with my clients. Um, you know, I might not be putting myself 
forward enough to be like emotionally open to, to make, you know, good relationships with people. So I think both, um, you know, show those kind of characteristics and quality of human in human nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, my, my boys are both teenagers now and it's, it's been interesting. Um, because when I, when I started my business, I, I was, I was working probably close to eight hours a day, you know, six to eight hours a day. And, but my, my wife got sick a little over five years ago. And that, that really, not so much the parenting aspect, but the, the whole family aspect and the caregiver aspect of what had, had become like normal caregiving threw me for a loop. I mean, it was, it was really hard to, to find any semblance of balance. And I still struggle with it today. And I, you know, I think from what you've said and from what I've experienced, like the, the hardest thing for me has been acceptance, like accepting, okay, this is what is not surrendering and putting up the white flag and saying, Oh, well, poor me, but saying, okay, this is how it is. And I'm only going to get in three hours today because of doctor appointments or whatever else is going on. Right. Or um, I'm not going to get any work done today because this is going on. And as you said, you know, for me also, family comes first. That is the number one priority. That is my number one quote unquote job. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard, brother. It's hard to be in acceptance day after day, week after week, month after month. And you're seeing somebody suffer, you know, it's the kids. It's similar because your kids for a long time, like, okay, you know, they, they might be in daycare and stuff like that, but you still got to pick them up early. You still got to drop them off. And then all of a sudden one day it's like they're taking the bus and you're like, you don't have to drive anywhere. They're taking themselves to and from school. But the years before that feel like they're never going to end. And you kind of wind up wondering, well, how, you know, how, how can I grow the business when I'm limited on the amount of time and energy I have? At least that's, that's the experience I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I resonate with that a lot. Um, it, yeah, it's so interesting. A lot of the things of what you say, um, about how, how you're trying to stay, stay visual in the moment, right. About what's happening. Um, I think comes back to stoicism in ways of Mm -hmm. like, don't, don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution. Cause if you focus on the problem, you're, you're, you're going down in a spiral of negativity. Like that's, that's been my, um, key understanding of like the more that I focus on when, when I get depressed and when I'm feeling bad is like, I I just keep dwelling on the shit. Like how, how, you know, like, Oh, it sucks so much. Like, Oh, why did I do this? Like all this stuff now is happening. Tomorrow's going to suck. Like, uh, I just don't feel good. Like uh, everything's bad. Like I just keep focusing. It's just like a tape loop in my head that just keeps cycling. And so the thing I have to then realize is like, yeah, this is right now. Stuff sucks right now, but you're, you're not dead, right? Like you're still here. Like, what can you do to, to change, (laughs) to change the future? What can you do to get yourself out of this? Like, what can you actually control? I can't control anybody other than myself. I can't control my daughter. She freaks out sometimes and gets mad when we say, no, you can't have this. You can't have that. Or, um, you know, it's time for bed or I'm not done yet or whatever. I can't control her. All I can do is just try to control myself. Um, and I think if you put the focus on like, what, 
what step for action can I take to move forward to get to the goal where I want to be? I think that helps you um, reframe your mindset from negative to positive, right? Because then you've got a goal, you've got action, you've got something you can move forward on. And as soon as you take a step forward, instead of taking a step back or just sitting in this soup of negativity, Mm. um, you know, you start to start to get that positive feeling. You start to feel like I I have worth again. Like there's something that's happening here that makes me feel good about myself. And then that just, you know, it can just cascade. You take one step after another step. Um, even if it's hard, even if you're trudging, even if you feel like all the weights on your shoulders, like, you know, then you can look back and say like, well, yesterday was worse, but today I woke up and I feel like I feel a little better, you know, like there's some good things happening. And then maybe you get a call, especially as a business owner where it's like, Hey, you know, we're looking for this. And then I'm like, Hey, sweet. Okay. This would be an awesome job. And then there's something that's a positive light rather than just like all this negative stuff in my head. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. I mean, you, you, what you've just brought up is what, what you're talking about that rumination that you have. Yeah. I, I call that the river, you know, and, 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 and then, you know, so, and that can be like, like you're drowning in the river, right? If it's just it's like all encompassing when you've got these thoughts and feelings going on and you're literally drowning in them. And then, you know, I love what you said about how you're kind of looking at it, what I call observing it. You're kind of making some space, taking a step back and be like, okay, here's what's happening. And as you start to observe it, you're starting to use your mind to solve a problem, to be constructive or productive instead of the mind just like hammering on you, right? So in the first case, it's controlling you. In the second case, it's a tool that you're using to to be more positive, to make a solution or just to accept, hey, this sucks. This is how it is right now. And like you said, this is not forever. Yeah. Uh, and, And I think that's a really important thing to bring up, whether it's about business or your, your, your spouse or yourself or your kids, it's to, to, to be able to make that space, to be able to literally imagine yourself stepping out of the river. The river can still be raging, right? Mm -hmm. Just because we give it some space or some distance and we're observing, it doesn't mean we don't feel what we're feeling anymore. It just means there's another layer, which is exactly what you just described. And that other layer helps us kind of, I guess, move forward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it comes down to understanding that like your flow of consciousness isn't necessarily you, right? The thoughts that happen within your head um, are just like a chemical reaction of your instance and what's happening. Like you don't control that. That's mm-hmm. not you. Um, and when you can separate yourself to observe, as you said, um, that consciousness or that mental space that you're in, um, you have choices. All of a sudden you have choices. Whereas before you felt like you didn't have choices, right? You're on a raft riding that river. Well, guess what, man, you can use a paddle, you know, (laughs) or you can pull off and try to like step out of the river for a moment and, um, just observe on what's happening. Um, and I think doing that, which holy crap, does that take a lot of effort? to get there, right? <laughs> like I, I don't meditate as much as I should. Um, and being a parent and having young kids makes it even harder. Um, but before I had kids, I, you know, I was meditating at least a couple of times a week and that helped. Um, and then when I <laughs> became a parent, the thing that helped the most, I probably should have been doing more, which would have been meditation. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, these days now, like to give an example, driving in Madison sucks. 
man, does it suck. People here just like they, they, you know, everybody's got a place to be. Either people are doing 15 under, 25 over, everybody cuts you off. It's just rough. It's like, you know, I, I can feel that emotion and energy and that anger and I could lash out which sometimes happens. I don't control myself in the best way all the time. Right. Like, <laughs> um, but a good mental state for me is to just, it, it, it's a mantra that I've been saying to choose peace, just choose peace. Just if somebody wrongs you like whatever, you know, like I'm not dead. I'm here. Like you, maybe you had a reason, right? Maybe, maybe there was something you had to get to, or maybe your emotional state is so chaotic right now that how could I possibly blame you? Because you are just drowning in that freaking river. You don't even know. You don't even know you're drowning in the river and you could step back from it. And to me, for me to be angry at you for it doesn't make any sense. But in the moment, that's the emotion that's going to come up because we're just animals that live on this earth and we are just here by evolution. And, you know, it's like we've <laughs> we've come up with, um, you know, all these fight or flight mechanisms, things that helped us years and years and years ago, but don't necessarily help us in the society that we've constructed now. And so if you're just responding emotionally right in right in the moment, um, you know, you're probably not making the best decisions for yourself. And honestly, that's what you want to be doing is making the best decisions for yourself. Because if you're not, you're not going to be the best version of yourself. And if you're not the best version of yourself, you're going to fail at everything else you do. You're going to be a worse parent. You're going to be a worse business owner. You're going to be a, a worse friend or a worse husband or wife or anything like that. Like you, as selfish as it sounds, and it was a very odd thing for me to make this um, association in my mind, but you really have to put yourself first, right? Like when you're on an airplane and you have to put your mask on first, it's because if you die, you can't help your kids, you know, like you can't help the person next to you if you're dying. So you have to make sure that you are able to do the thing you need to do that people are trusting you for, um, which means being in a good, healthy mindset, you know, being healthy, working out, eating the right foods, like just, you know, making sure that tomorrow I'm not going to be in a compromised position. Um, so it's tough. You know, you got to practice. Everything takes practice. Um, when you don't, when you don't move through a situation in the way that you'd like to, um, I think it is a good idea to reflect and think like, okay, well that's going to happen again. What, what could I do different next time? And if you just take one small step in that direction next time, you're better because you're not going to, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden flip the switch and there you are. Everything's perfect. Everything's right. right. Like, cool. You've got full control over your emotional state and you're never going to get angry again <laughs> when somebody cuts you off or they flip you off or, you know, I'm in the right and you're in the wrong. Like, it just doesn't matter, dude. It's just one moment of time and it, it goes by so fast. We won't be here. You know, who knows? Tomorrow's not promised. So it's like, just try to enjoy your time and try to, um, you know, be a positive influence on the world around you. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. We, we've discussed a lot of the topics that I had questions about. We're just kind of diving into it naturally. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I, that's what I, I, I've done that, you know, like it's, 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 it's almost like having that plan in place. Cause you know, it's, it's one thing we make mistakes, right? Everybody makes mistakes. And I think, you know, forgiving ourselves can some, some, sometimes be difficult, uh, and when 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 I was a, a younger parent, my dad was a yeller. My dad yelled about everything. And so when I became a dad, one of my goals was to not yell. And early on, this was more of a struggle for me. And what I started to do was I'd be like, OK, like, you know, this happened. Like what triggered me? And this is hard. It's easy to talk about in retrospect. But it's hard when you're tired, when you're running the business and your kid has gotten ear infection and your wife is running ragged at work and you're feeling guilty because you're not bringing in enough money 
and you know you're run down. It's it's hard to sit there and be co- contemplative, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and that's okay, right? That's part of that acceptance. It's not always going to happen. But one of my goals was all right. What 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 triggered me? And I realized a lot of the things that were triggering my my desire to yell or my actual yelling were things that my dad did to me, like just like a chaotic or a, a negative thing or the kids yelling. And I wasn't realizing that was triggering trauma for me as an adult from what happened to me when I was a little boy. And obviously when my kids were real small, they're not going to like say, Oh, well dad had trauma. So I better not ever yell or fight with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. So it wasn't about, evoking a change in them. It was about understanding what triggered it. So at least I had made a little bit of space, a little bit of space. Okay. Ah, that's happening right now. There's that observation. I didn't even realize what I was doing at the time. Yeah. But when I observed it, I could be like, all right, you know what? It's okay. That's not my dad. What are my options? I could yell. I could remove myself and literally just get on your feet and get out of the room. If something is triggering you, right? Uh, take a breath. And so I started to learn these tactics, not really understanding how just the universe was kind of giving me <laughs> advice mm-hmm. as to what to do. Like if your kid is crying and crying and crying and you're kind of on dad duty and it's three o'clock in the morning, do we want to let our kids cry it out? No, that's been proven to be baloney. And I knew that before it was scientifically proven. We don't want to do that to our kids. And it's okay to put them in the crib for two minutes and go in a different room, grab a drink of water, take a couple deep breaths. They're not going to be scarred for life for two minutes. My opinion was always if we left the kids in the crib and let them cry it out for hours, that creates a model where children don't feel supported. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I've, I, I'm so torn on all this stuff. Like I feel like my opinions on everything are almost split down the middle because <laughs> mm. I can see the perspectives and opinions of everybody. Um, and I try to take it into account. And I I do feel the same way as you. It's like, you can't just leave a kid cry for an hour by themselves and just not go in there, say anything, not, not be a supportive human. Like, first of all, it kills you on the inside. Mm. Like, boy, is it difficult to do that. And second of all, like, it's probably not bringing you to the solution that you want. Um, I mean, for us, the way that we've approached it is because our kids, you know, we've had to do sleep training for both of them. And they it's both been different in terms of like when they fall asleep or when they don't fall asleep or how they wake up or, you know, do they stay asleep? And a lot of it has been a mix of both letting them cry for certain periods of time and then coming in and saying, hey, I'm here. You're not alone. I'm with you rubbing their back and, you know, just like giving them some kind of a compassion, empathetic parenting to say like, Hey, you're fine. Everything's okay. But it's bedtime, you know, like right now we have to sleep and just approaching it in a way again, where there's a goal and you're trying to be, I mean, communicative to a baby seems stupid, right? Like you can't, not at all. I mean, like I I talk to them like they're humans because they are humans and I don't like baby talk necessarily. I think you're, there's a lot of things that don't help with that. Like you should communicate with words. You should communicate the way that humans communicate to each other because that's how they learn. Um, so that's how I communicate to my kids. Even when they're babies, I just talk to them. I say, Hey Milo, like it's, it's cool, man. I know that you don't want to go to sleep. I know that you don't understand what's happening. Um, 
but right now you need to sleep. It's, it's bedtime. It's night. This is when we sleep. Mom and I are trying to get sleep. That doesn't obviously help him. But then when I walk out of the room and he's still crying, at least I feel like, you know, I've done some, something to help. And then I'm going to come back in 10 minutes and you know, I'm here, I'm still here, bud. Like, it's okay. I know it's okay, but this is the time when we got to sleep right now. And you're working through phases and it's not always easy. Um, they don't understand what's going on, but like, you know, you have to, you have to create the routine. You have to build, um, that kind of a schedule within their brain, which might not be intuitive, you know, like mm. they might not want to sleep during the night and they might sleep during the day, but you got to flip it. You're the one that, you know, you're the leader that has to make the change in this, uh, you know, this group of humans that you're leading here as a parent, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it can be in so many ways, you could be the military, it could be work, it could be your family, you know, it's still the same structure, you still have to figure out how do I lead these people to where they need to be? How do I make the changes happen in an empathetic, but genuine way? You know, it's not being forced on you, you want to make the change, because it change doesn't stick if it's forced on you, yep. you know, like just a, in any, any thought provoking way, like if somebody gets shown music, they're like, oh, that's cool. But if you discover music, like if you discover a band that all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is great. Like, man, you're tuned in. You want to tell everybody about that. But it's not going to be the same for all the people you tell. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But it's not discovery. You know, like yeah. the, it, it's just a certain method of psychology where like discovery can help make change. Right. You want you want to be the instrument that helps somebody discover something about themselves. Mm. And I, it's pretty damn hard to do that with a baby. Right. To have a baby discover something about themselves. But I mean, you see it. You see it in all sorts of ways when they learn to walk and when they learn to crawl and when you play peekaboo and all these things, it's all discovery. So it's like, how do how can you guide that that way to get to the goals that you want and to help? um, them reach the goals that they should have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, for me, it's, it all comes down to trust. Like we've talked about business, we've talked about parenting and like whether, whether it's, whether it's a client or your kid, you're, you're either building or diminishing trust or yeah. it sits where it is, right. It kind of plateaus back to that plateau. Sure. And I, I had a similar parenting style when, when my kids were small and I still do. It's like, am I building trust or am I eroding it? And, you know, whether it's, I remember Max taking him to the health food store and letting him pick his, his rice. Do you want brown rice or white rice? And he was like five months old. He couldn't talk yet, but I'd show him, I'd ask him and he'd, he'd look at one specific, he'd stare at one and, you know, they may not understand the words when they're babies. Maybe they do. Who knows? Cause they're more connected to the universe than we are as adults. Although the crap that we carry around. But, you know, it's the, the energy is felt, the support is felt, the empathy, empathy is felt. And it's, to me, like, kind of the way you described it sounded great, you know, and the, the, to me, just going back to that, letting the kid cry it out. The kid is left deserted. How does that build trust? It's the same when the kid is older and they get in trouble. And, you know, we, we, we never hit our kids. And we never believed in that. And th there are some people who do it and they do it in a very specific way. I still don't believe in it, but they do it in a very calm way. And then there are parents who do it in a way that is kind of, they're angry when they do it. Um, but to me, regardless, if, if you're, if you're training somebody to do something because of fear, one, it's never going to be the decision not to do it or to do something. They're going to be afraid. And do, do you want your kid to be afraid to call you if it's two o'clock in the morning and they've had some drinks. 
and they're the one who's driving. Do you want your kid to be afraid in that moment yeah. to say, hey, dad, I screwed up. Can you please come and get me? Yeah. I know I don't. I want them to be able to know that, yeah, there might be repercussions, mm-hmm. but I want them to trust that I got their back. Yeah. That's, it's such an interesting thing to think about, right? Like to, like, how do you, how do you get there? How do you build that trust? Like, how do you, I think it's, it, it part comes from just being an open, genuine person, right? There's a lot of parents who hide aspects of themselves that maybe they're not proud of, or they, they hide their mistakes because they don't want their kids looking at them as like just an infallible human. Like, Oh, you're just a failure. You, you had failures. You, you're not this perfect superhero that I thought was my dad. You know, it's like you have to show them that because that's how they trust you. That's how they understand that, like, oh, yeah, my dad's been through some shit. Like, he's not a perfect person. Like, even though I messed up right now, like, he's messed up too, you know, and like, I can call him because he's probably got experience, you know, and hopefully that's that's the kind of thing that can happen. But man, it's it's really tough, you know, and like you said, you don't want to you don't want to lead with fear. Sometimes that just happens, you know, just just to share some examples, like I, I've noticed from myself that like in a lot of situations I can keep calm. Um, but when I have a situation where I'm, I'm actually physically feeling pain, like I freak out, you know, like that's, that's where it all melts down for me. And that's where one of the things that I need to, um, fix moving forward. But it's, I don't know, like even just recently, like playing with my daughter and she hit me with a, with a, um, like a mallet or something, you know, it was just a musical instrument. And I got mad and I took it and I threw it and I yelled at her and I was like, what are you doing? Like, don't hit me. I told you already not to be swinging this thing around. You already almost hit your brother. And like, it wasn't the best way to, to approach the situation, but you know, it's like, what do you do? You gotta just move forward and try to learn from that, you know, but that's, there's, I don't know, man, there's a lot of things that you can do, I think, to train for that kind of thing, you know, like, how in the military or other things, they, they put you into situations where you're like, you're, you're feeling it, right? It's torture. Like, what do you do in these torturous situations? What do you do when you are getting gassed or what do you do when you're getting tortured? Like, can you, can you maintain, you know, it's even on like sports teams and stuff like they kick your ass to get you. This is what it's going to be like in the fourth quarter. You're going to be tired. You're going to be hurt. How do you keep going on? I think uh, I need to find <laughs> a way to train myself in that, like to, you know, to beat myself up and then um, find ways to, to be empathetic. It's well, tough. It is tough, but I, 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 I'm not liking the idea of you beating yourself up. Well, I, I don't mean to actually like beat myself up, but to, to train, I think you have okay. to actually train okay. for the things you're going to go through. Just mm-hmm. like in stoicism, like you have to, you have to be, willing and ready to embark on the shit you have to be ready to be to lose everything you have you have to be ready to endure torture you have to be ready um to to go through those things and still think like i'm still myself i'm still worthwhile like i can still move forward like if i lose everything like i still have myself in my mind and i still have my ability to be a good person um but to, to actually train yourself to either, you know, run to the point of exhaustion, um, or to, you know, go and, and I mean, geez, like what monks who start themselves on fire, 
and then they sit and meditate, you know, like that is the most insane thing. But how do you do that? They didn't just do it. That wasn't the first time, you know, we see the Rage Against the Machine cover of the monk who's on fire. Like he's not sitting there meditating because that was his first time ever doing that. Like, he, you know, put in effort and effort and effort to get himself to that point. And that's, it just comes back to practice. Like anything that you want to reach in your life, man, you just have to keep doing it. It's not going to happen the first time. Yeah. And to, to think of yourself as like one point in time, like as a failure, oh, it didn't happen now. Like, yeah, it didn't happen now. Just keep trying. You have to practice. Like the business doesn't happen now. Like good parents don't just happen all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like you might have good examples to, to reach from. If you had great parents that were good examples, like, yeah, be like them. But if you didn't, like, that's an example of what you can learn from yep. Do and the see from in yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, there's always a point of connection, I think, where you need to try to understand where was that person coming from? Like, why did that happen? Just the mm-hmm. same when I'm in traffic and I get cut off, like, yeah, you know, the benefit of the doubt, like they probably had a tough situation. Maybe their parents were rough on them. Maybe they grew up in a time where it just wasn't valued to be empathetic. It was mm-hmm. more valued to work your ass off and to get from point A to point B, because if you didn't, you might die, mm-hmm. you know, like real legitimate reasons of why somebody might act the way that they did. You know, I mean, generations before us had to endure way harder shit than we had to endure. I know like my great grandparents, like, uh, what are you going to do? Like, you don't have food. You have to raise, you have to grow your own food. You know, you've got a farmstead that somebody's maybe going to come and try to steal shit from and mm. cops are, you know, what are you going to call them on your telegram or something, you know, <laughs> SOS or something <laughs> to just think of where we are now and the things that we've got um, to reframe your perspective and try to understand where other folks are coming from. I think all of those are good tools to try to, I don't know, m- move yourself forward you know, to try to be the better leader, to try to grow your yourself. The only thing you control is yourself. Yeah, no, I, I thank you for clarifying because because the, the reason why I said that about the beating up, beating up to me is like judging, right? And I've done that ad nauseum in my life until very recently. I, I did it on a daily basis. So, you know, judging ourselves, labeling ourselves, that's not healthy. Training ourselves is different. And again, it's taking that different mindset, right? Yes, this happened. And what can I do about it? As opposed to this just happened and I suck and this and that and negative, 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 which is just, you know, you're not a nail to hammer yourself into the ground. You are a human being. Mm-hmm. You are a being who's going to make mistakes. And and if, if we learn from our mistakes or try and grow from it, and the mistake might happen a dozen times before we can get it right. You know, I'm happy to say now, you know, I, I very, very, very rarely yell at anybody. Uh, you know, and it's, it, and it, and now it's, it's become the new normal. It's, it's, it's not an effort like it used to be. Yeah. And something else you brought up, it's, it's really interesting because like, I can, I can sometimes do, like you said, when you, when you get physically, if you have pain, like you kind of, you, you're drowning in it, right? You, it's hard to observe it and be like, okay, that's cool. This pain will go away. You're like, oh, this hurts. And it's instantaneous. Like, yeah. It yeah. just automatic. You get bit by your child. You're like, ah, yeah, it's a reaction yeah. to the, to the physical, you know? Yes, And you get sucked completely into the pain or what I call unconsciousness of it. Right. Um, or the ego, different words for the same thing. And what's, what's happening to me now. And it's kind of surreal because I'll be having like these really strong emotions, really strong, really upset. And at the same time I'm observing it and I'm like, Oh yeah, 
I'm really upset right now. And it's weird, man, because like to, to, to be like this observer of the self, but the self like still kind of trying to climb out of the river. Yeah. I, it's, and it's also progress because there was a time when there was just the river and the river was everything. There was no observer. And by the way, you know, for, for those of you listening, if you're wondering like what I'm talking about, about this observer, that's what, what I have learned in my studies is that's what's true consciousness. That observer is the self that goes beyond thought, that goes beyond emotion. And that's something you said earlier, Kyle, is like, you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts and your emotions are something you experience, yeah. but you are not them. And that was a big kind of defining moment for me when I learned that and was actually able to understand beyond cognitive process, understand that I am not my thoughts. And so it was kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same for me. I mean, it's, it, I don't think it's a, an intuitive thing to, to realize that like the thoughts that are in my brain are not me. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm the one thinking them. How is it not me? Like, Hey man, <laughs> you're not trying, right? You're not trying. It's not like, you know, like even though I'm breathing, like that's not me consciously breathing. It's, it's happening in the subconscious and there might be things that are being brought up in my subconscious. And I mean, man, it's, it's, you don't even know what kind of like, what kind of hidden stuff is in your genes, right? There's a lot that gets passed from human to human through generations of people that could have been trauma and all sorts of things that infer how you react, right? I think it's necessary because otherwise, how are you going to learn from the past generations, from the evolution of your your ancestors? Like I, it's baked into you. I think there's things that just happen. Um, and so it's not you. It's just the response from the system that you encompass, right? And so you are in this this flesh suit of a human and you know you you have inputs that come and then there's there's things that happen and um you, you need to be the observer. You need to be the the one who can step out of it and and make decisions about it. But I mean you, how how do you approach that, right? Because I think meditation is probably one of the stronger ways to make observation of a key part of your life, I think also finding activities where you get into like a flow mindset can do the same thing because all of a sudden you're, you know, you're not thinking anymore. Stuff is just happening. Like for me, when I play basketball, I'm not thinking of other stuff. Like I'm really in the flow when I'm playing music with my bass guitar. Like I'm not thinking about stuff. I'm just literally letting the outpour of expression go through my fingers and whatever happens happens. And for me, that that's a way to kind of like break thought and to, to separate from that. I think that practices the same mechanism that meditation practices, but I would love to hear how you've approached that in your life. Yeah. Well, first I agree with you. I think, I think we kind of, as a society, we kind of have this predisposition to think that meditation is like sitting, you know, cross-legged and not thinking anything. And, and that's, and that's really actually not what meditation is. It's, <laughs> you know, meditation can occur at any moment. And that's a great example. Like if you're, when you're playing basketball, when you're being in the present moment, your thoughts might still be there or maybe not at all, but that's not the focus, right? When you're being in the moment, that is being in consciousness. That is being in, in, in mindfulness or meditative moment. So, you know, I don't, 
you know, when you're when you're playing the bass, and I see videos of you playing the bass, and I could see you're in the moment, you're in a meditative state. Uh, for me, I I do I do still meditate, but it's very different than it used to be. I bring usually one of my notebooks with me and a pencil, and I'm sometimes writing. Uh, but I, I would say that when I'm feeling under duress or upset, there, there are a couple of mechanisms I like to use that help me get into that mindfulness or that meditative state. The, the best one for me is my breath. Because if I take a moment and I truly focus on a deep, slow breath, typically through my nose, and kind of feel where that what that feels like in my body. What is that? Not just my lungs, but what does it feel like in my arms? You know, what does it feel like in my head? Mm-hmm. And so my attention turns to that moment, to that breath. And that can often give me that space like we've talked about today. And when that happens, everything kind of realigns. And now all of a sudden, yeah, well, this sucks. And I can do this. I can do this. Probably the middle of last year, business was awful. First year of the pandemic, it was okay. Everything kind of carried through from the year before and it was fine. Last year was awful. And about mid-year through, the four months through, I was like, I was had a lot of anxiety about it, a lot of panic and fear. And then when I when I was in a better headspace, when I was in a more, you know, mindful state, I said, okay, yeah, this is all happening and it sucks. And these feelings I'm having are genuine. They're real feelings. And what can I do about it? And then all of a sudden, my mind flipped from being the hammer to a tool that was actually helping me, right? To something Mm -hmm. that was a proactive tool. Instead of hammering on myself, I was hammering on a solution maybe. Maybe that's a a good analogy. And I was like, well, why don't I get in touch with all my clients and do blogging for them if they're interested, right? That helps with the marketing that we do. What about if we do this or that? So I reached out to about maybe 15 clients and about five of them said, yeah, do that. And all of a sudden there was a solution in place instead of me beating myself up, blaming myself, (laughs) you know? We all do that. There's a pandemic that we had nothing to do with. And yet we'll still sit there and blame ourselves for slow business or for being irritable with our kids. Yeah. Um, you know, man, okay. If, if I got hit in the head with a can from my brother when he was a little kid, you know, it's a normal reaction to be like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah. You know, and it's that fight or flight. I have found that is what I'll call like a, a, a conditioned response. Yeah. And being an awareness of that conditioned response can help us make a new habit, so to speak, a more positive one where we pause first and say, oh, that really hurt. You know, hey, just, you know, let me have that can. That's an owie. We don't want to hit people with a can. You know. And now it's like, it's yes, there was a consequence. Yes, my brother knew. I probably yelled at him <laughs> <laughs> when I was a 20-year-old. Um, but, you know, that, that condition response can be changed. Although it can take a really long time. Yeah. And the, the, the first step is that awareness. 
that observing of, okay, this I'm, I'm exhibiting a condition response that I always do. It's like you said, it's like a switch. It's flipped and you're in it and you're, you're, you're engulfed by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, I mean, the physical, especially like saying you got hit with a can, like that's, I feel like that's the highest level of switch flipping, right? Mm -hmm. Where you go from a state maybe of peace to a state of anger or frustration or something bad is happening to me and I need to react right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I've noticed that, you know, when I, uh, when I'm out playing basketball and we play for two or three hours on a court, you know, a lot of times it's just on like a Sunday midday and I come home, man, I'm in such a good headspace. You know, and it's probably just working out in general, even yep. for me from a music standpoint, you know, like if I, you know, I, I, I got to pick up my kids once in a while in the evening and dr driving there sucks. It's a 20 minute drive. Um, you know, if I'm in a good place before I leave, that drives fine. You know, if I'm if I jam for a little while before I leave, I'm, I'm playing some music or something for 20 minutes before I go. I'm in a different headspace than if I, you know, just wrote an email to a client where now I'm hoping that I'm going to get a job. You know, it's totally different. And it's like, um, how, you know, how can you get yourself to that place where like, you don't react as heavily when something bad happens, you know, like, it, like for real, like I, it, when I get done working out or if I'm playing basketball or something and I come home, like my kids could literally do anything and I'm probably not going to freak out, you yeah. know, like, I'm just going to stay calm. I'm going to be fine because I've already like tortured myself. I've already, oh man, have I put out <laughs> some energy, you know, like I've busted my ass. I've been pushing people. I've been jumping. I've been shooting. I've been like exhausting my body in ways that are way more difficult than what you're doing to me right now. Mm. You know, yeah. and it's like that, that kind of a thing I think is good for you. <laughs> it definitely is good for you in more ways than one. Um, but that's like, that's a, a mechanism to avert, um, you know, the, the switching of a, of a switch, the flip totally, of a switch. Totally. And, and, and that's another thing I do consistently is physical activity. It could be anything for different people. It could be yoga, basketball. I do this hit program. It's like a high intensity. It takes yeah. like 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, but what you're talking about, first of all, it's self-care. It yeah. is a form of self-care and this physical activity. And this is a proven fact. This is an, actually an earlier podcast from season one. We had a two-parter with Mark Brady, who's like a brain guy. That's cool. what he does for a living. He is like, he is like a brain guy. And he taught me that's called metabolizing stress through the act of physical activity. We are actually working through and almost like, just like we metabolize food and then like go to the bathroom and it's gone. You know, mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're exercising, we are metabolizing stress and it's actually like literally leaving our body. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, and it's the thing about exercise is everybody's in a different place. Yeah. And some people are younger, some are older, some have health issues. So it's really important, like not to compare yourself to others and say, well, well he wouldn't play basketball for three hours and I can only go for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, all right, that's okay. What works for you? Yeah. You could have this idol like me, Zig Ziglar or Eckhart Tolle. And what he does might not work for me or you. So we have to find what works for us. Doesn't mean we're failures because of it. It means we found our tool, our mechanism, our way of metabolizing or meditating. You might be like, you might have asthma and not be able to use your breath as easily to get to yeah. that place. So what else could it be? It might be music. It might be playing bass. It might be looking at art. Really doesn't matter what long as it works for you. Yeah. Even reading a book. You know, that oh, could be yeah. enough to like get you into a mental space where it changes your being, you know, yeah. you, you all of a sudden 
you think different your your brain waves are on a different level now because you've gone into this this different world or this different space i mean yeah it could be anything anything that interests you um could be the right thing to help you move you know out of a um fight or flight kind of a brain set you know yeah yeah you gotta experiment with it i love to write i've got my notebooks my pencils oh yeah and i noticed that when i when i'm using my notebooks more i am in a better place not perfect not fixed but a better place than i was in before i did it yeah and i think there's a lot to be said about habits right like you've got good habits and bad habits and i think um i mean i was just listening to a podcast recently with tim ferris where they were talking about this um and it was more so like if you know if you can't fit in your hour workout don't just not do it cuz i only have 10 or 15 minutes just do a lesser workout still yep. check it off cool i did it it wasn't as much as i should have done but i still did it to keep the yeah. habit every day i think overall in the long term is going to do you more than saying, oh, I don't have the full time, so I'm just going to skip it today. Exactly. Because, man, it's exactly. easy to drop habits. It's so easy to drop them. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to a, a gym and it's your New Year's resolution, which don't go to a gym, just work out at home. You know, <laughs> like if you really want to, if you need the motivation, if you need the equipment, go to a gym. But, man, if you can just wake up in the morning and just say, cool, I'm going to do some push-ups. I'm going to do some crunches. I'm going to, you know, do some squats. I'm going to walk on the treadmill. Or I'm just going to go walk outside with my dog yeah. or with my kids, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the habit. I think forming that is the better of the thing rather than saying, oh, I hit the goal. You know, I did an hour or I meditated for 20 minutes. Like, oh man, I only got five minutes. Just do it anyways. Meditate for five minutes. You're gonna be better off than you were anyways. Yeah. Yes. I didn't have enough time to do it all. And I did some. Yeah. And it's about, it's about looking at it from that perspective. So you look at it as a positive instead of being that beating yourself up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow Kyle, we're, we're at an hour already, but I do want to ask you one last question. Yeah. Before we wrap up, because uh, we could go on for another hour. This is amazing. <laughs> for real. Yeah, man. Um, so, so, okay. So what is one of the biggest challenges you have faced in your life and how did you handle it? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I feel like in terms of the, like the biggest challenge, I don't know. Like there's nothing that comes to mind as like, oh, that one thing was the biggest challenge you ever had. I think every day is kind of a new challenge. Um, I mean, for the fact that I put myself out of my comfort zone to go from being a salaried employer or employee to not having a salary and then having to create all of the value that brings my income by myself. That was a huge challenge that, you know, you just got to jump in with both feet. You got to take a risk, got to be ready to, to just work for yourself and try. Um, that was something huge that I'm so grateful that I did because my life is amazing because I did that. You know, if I was still employed somewhere, I would probably be super depressed and I don't think I would be a very good person to be around. You know, I wouldn't work very hard and it's just not the right life for me. Um, you know, I mean, we, we bought a duplex right before the pandemic happened. Um, you know, spent a bunch of money to, to do that and to get it as an investment property. We live in one side and rent out the other side. That was one of those things where it was like, I, I hope we're doing this right. I hope we're taking a risk. Like I've never been a landlord before. I guess I'm going to start doing that now, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that was a challenge that, you know, I had to put myself out of my comfort zone and just get ready to feel some feelings that I wasn't comfortable with things that I don't know how to do. Cool. Now at, you know, like eight o'clock at night, my tenants are texting me that the, you know, the heat doesn't work. The furnace is going off like, okay, take care of it, you know, figure it out. This is, this is on you now. You chose to do this. Um, So that's one of those situations 
um, that was very challenging. And, and now we, you know, we've got an accepted offer on a house. And so we're moving into that and we're putting money down on that too. And it's just like, you don't know what you're getting into. I don't know what kind of condition the house is in. We had an inspection, but like, you know, you're going to move to a new place and you're going to start your life in this new place. And, um, you just got to be ready for the challenges that are coming, you know, and every, every little thing that you can do to see as a success, you know, like every time you put yourself out of a comfort zone, um, and you manage it, even if it's not to your expectations, if, you know, even if you failed, like those are experiences that you can live off of that you can build confidence on moving forward. And that's what I do, you know, is like, I don't, I'm not as good at sales as I am now because, um, I, I never pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Like I failed so many times by trying to attain something that I wasn't ready yet to attain. Mm-hmm. And it, it taught me stuff, you know, that's why I can do the things that I do now more successfully than I did seven or eight years ago. Um, so I think every challenge is kind of the biggest challenge. Yeah. You know, I think in a lot of ways, it's like it, it, every day is hard every day. You don't know what's going to happen. It might be easy and fun. It might've been, Oh, I, you know, I got to do this fun thing all day long and just, it flowed. It was great. And then tomorrow you might find out that like your grandparent has cancer or, you know, like your child broke their leg and now like, dude, that's hard. You know, like you just try to be ready for it and try to understand that the things that you've gone through in the past are going to help you, um, overcome these difficult challenges because i probably haven't come to the very most difficult challenge in my life Mm. you know i'm not sure what that is but i'm sure (laughs) there's going to be a moment that's so utterly difficult Mm -hmm. like how do you face it i don't know yeah yeah and it's just it's it's interesting it sounds like you're and kind of already answered through the hour how you how you kind of deal with these things and, and how you work through them um that was my last question. I feel like <laughs> Sorry to, to be a downer on it, but uh, no, I, mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's just one of those things that like, you have to see it as a continuum, you know, like every day, like it's yeah. just, we can't stop time. It keeps flowing. Everything changes. Um, just be ready for it again. Like it, it, I don't know, like I'm, I'm getting more and more into stoicism just for that aspect Mm -hmm. to understand that like the world around me is not within my control. You know, like you have to accept things as they are. You have to accept what you can control and just work to be the best version of yourself because that's how you can make the most positive influence. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like Gandhi said, is like, be the change you want to see in the world. Like I try to embody that, like, like, you know, I, the only way I'm going to be able to teach my kids anything is to show them this is why you should do it. I'm not going to dictate to you what to do. I want you to see me as the example of somebody who succeeded and pursued and persisted through the bullshit to get to where they wanted to be. It's not easy. You know, it's, it's a path that is worth fighting for and you you have to be willing to fight for it in a way that's worth it to you, you know, like Mm -hmm. to, to, to die on Sim Hill, that's not worth dying on is stupid. That's not self-preservation, right? You have to have the mindfulness enough to say like, oh, this is not worth it. Like, I don't need to, I can let you win or I can, um, you know, like be open-minded to what you have to say and just listen. And I'll probably learn something if I don't let my ego get in the way and Mm -hmm. I'll be better for it. You know, like (laughs) I'm going to grow because I didn't have to fight you. I could just listen and observe and, um, you know, be thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, it's amazing how the time flies. Uh, just tell us how people can find out more about you if they want to online. Sure. Yeah, you can go to my website if you care to see my, my photography work. It's crimsonsunstudios.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kyle underscore Wege, W-E-G-E. 
Um, you can also find Crimson Sun Studios on Instagram at Crimson Sun Studios. Um, also on LinkedIn, if you're a professional and you want to connect there, if you want to just see more of what I do, it's just on LinkedIn, Kyle Wiege. Cool. And then Kyle was involved in the making of, of a film called The Good, The Bad, and The Dubby. Yes. Uh, and if you want to uh, check that out, it's at uh, Good Bad Dubby, which is D-U-B-B-Y dot com. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a reggae Western <laughs> that we filmed out in Montana. It was a lot of fun. We did rewriting of uh, the classic reggae tunes um, from the Dollars Trilogy from Ennio Morricone, um, who has now passed. But we, you know, carry on his legacy and his music by doing fun new creations with it. Um, so if you like reggae, check it out. The Good, the Bad, and the Debbie. Cool, cool. Well, Kyle, I'd like to thank you for joining us today and for bringing a great guest. Thanks, Joey. I appreciate being here. And you've had a lot of great guests. So to to be in that company, um, I'm grateful. Yeah, well, I'm grateful for you as well. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening. And until next time, stay well.